Lesson 8 for February 13 to 19. Comrades in Arms. Sabbath afternoon, February 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and what it means to us each day to be able to come and sit at your feet. And as we open your word this week, as we look at the disciples, how they came and they worked with Jesus and the relationship they had, but also the development that occurred in their lives and the salvation they came to understand. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be there to guide and to bless us each one this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 24 and verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Let's read that again, Luke 24 and verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? From the earliest days of his ministry, Jesus didn't work alone. He chose humans to take part in preaching, teaching and ministering. And though the four Gospels focus primarily on his life, death and resurrection, they often do so in the context of his disciples, those closest to him. Thus, as the great controversy raged around him, we can see it rage around the disciples as well. Until the bitter end, when Jesus cried, It is finished, Satan found it impossible to make Jesus stumble and fall. Christ's followers, however, were much easier prey. Their character flaws gave him inroads into them that were readily exploited. Pride, doubt, stubbornness, self-importance, pettiness, whatever the flaws, these opened the way for Satan. Half of their problem was that they, having their own views of what they thought would and should happen, didn't listen to what Jesus said would happen. They had a lot of hard lessons to learn. So, no doubt, do we. Sunday, February 14, The Call of Peter When one considers the incredible issue at stake in the great controversy, it's amazing that Jesus would use human beings to aid him in ministry, especially those as flawed as the ones he chose. Of course, if we consider the state of fallen humanity, no one he chose would have been without moral defects anyway. Walking along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, followed by a crowd of people, Jesus noticed two fishing boats whose owners were cleaning up after an unproductive night. These fishermen were already aware of Jesus. He had taught at their synagogue, where he astonished everyone with his words in Luke 4. Jesus had even cast out a demon from a man in their synagogue, and everyone was amazed. They had seen Jesus at Peter's house healing Peter's mother-in-law and later that evening, healing many others as well. It is no wonder that a crowd was following Jesus along the beach. Jesus stepped into Peter's boat, asked Peter to push it out a little from the shore so that he could see him, and then spoke to the people. 
When finished, he told Peter to throw his freshly cleaned net into the deep water. Peter surely thought that that wouldn't achieve anything. But out of respect for Jesus, he did as he said. Question. Read Luke chapter 5, verses 6 through to 8. What does Peter's reaction teach us about him? How does it help us to understand why, despite Peter's obvious faults, Jesus chose him? Well, let's read those verses. Luke 5, 6 to 8 reads, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's reaction is remarkable. Maybe it's a parallel to Jacob wrestling with the angel, the same realization of divine presence and an overwhelming sense of unworthiness. Let's read that story, Genesis 32, verses 24 to 30. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. One thing is clear. Peter became aware of his sinfulness because he knew that the Lord was there. His open confession of his sinfulness stands in stark contrast, for instance, to the reaction of some of the religious leaders who referred to Jesus himself as a sinner in John 9.24, instead of acknowledging even when in his presence their own sinfulness. John 9.24 reads, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Luke 5.11 says that they forsook all and followed him, which meant that when their nets were so full they were about to break, the men left it all to follow Jesus. What message is there for us here? Monday, February 15, with him. When Jesus called the first disciples on the shores of Galilee, they had already witnessed his power over evil. They'd seen him challenge demons in Luke chapter 4, heal the sick again in Luke chapter 4, rule over nature in Luke 5, reveal sin and then reassure Peter there was no need to fear again in Luke chapter 5. 
Sometime later, after praying all night in Luke chapter 6, Jesus assembled his followers, or his disciples, and from that larger group chose twelve, calling them apostles. Luke 6.13, the Greek word apostolos, means to send out. Before Jesus sent them out, he spent some time with them, giving them instructions in Luke 9 that were similar to the details he gave to a larger group of 70 some time later in Luke chapter 10. Question. Read Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. What did Jesus want the apostles to do before sending them out on their own? What message is here for all of us? Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. How many times are modern disciples more eager to race off and work for Jesus rather than spend time with him? The simple reality is that when we go out to fulfill the Gospel Commission, racing off with our own to-do list, we bypass the Saviour of the world and try to replace him with ourselves. It is too easy to have a Messiah complex, thinking it is up to us to save the world, forgetting that Jesus alone is Saviour. One would not be too hard-pressed to say that so much of Christian history has been soiled by those who, professing the name of Jesus, had not spent time with him, had not known him, and had not been changed by him. The last thing our world or the church needs are those running around in the name of Christ who have not been with him. One of Satan's greatest ploys in the great controversy has been his ability to co-opt those who claim the name of Christ and to use them to defile that name. Hence, before sending them off, Jesus wanted these men to be with him in order, no doubt, to learn from him. And so to finish today, what does it mean to us today, without the physical, fleshly presence of Jesus, to be with him? What are the practical real-time ways in which we today can have that time with him? Tuesday, February 16, Jesus' Dominion over Nature Question. Read Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, Mark 4, verses 35 to 41, and Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. How do we see the reality of the great controversy revealed in these texts? Well, first of all, Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marvelled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. 
Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marvelled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Though we don't fully understand the degree to which Satan impacts the natural world, Scripture does reveal that his influence is there, such as seen in the story of Job in Job chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Ellen White also tells us that Satan is even now seeking by disasters upon sea and land to seal the fate of as many as possible. That's from In Heavenly Places, page 348. And another indication of his power in this area. Surely, amid the seeming ceaseless natural disasters that strike the world, we are seeing the reality of the great controversy play out here on earth. In this particular story, after a long day of teaching, when evening approached, Jesus suggested that he and his disciples go to the less inhabited opposite shore. Partway into their journey, a fierce windstorm struck them suddenly, and waves crashed into the boat, as we read in Mark chapter 4. Jesus was so exhausted that he lay sleeping in the stern, seemingly oblivious. With the disciples so occupied in battling the storm, maybe it was some time before they realised that Jesus was asleep. Jesus didn't say anything when they first cry out to him. He does not give any sermon to explain the predicament that they are in or suggest ways that the disciples can act to be victorious in the situation. He just stands up, raises his hand and tells the wind and waves to settle down and be quiet as if they were merely rowdy children. At this, the disciples are just overwhelmed with awe. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? And even the wind and the sea obey him. Mark 4.41 Though the lessons are many here, with this story we can see the extent of Jesus' power and thus our need to trust him no matter what. 
So to finish the day, though we can see the reality of the Lord's power, even over nature, the one place where he will not force that power is on our own will. What should this tell us about how careful we need to be with the sacred gift of free choice? And how should the reality of the great controversy make us even more careful in how we use that gift? Wednesday, February 17. Who is the greatest? Question. Read Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. What lesson did Jesus teach the disciples here, and what is the message here for anyone who claims to follow Jesus? We'll also look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 to 5. But first, Mark 9, verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it? you disputed among yourselves on the road. But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And Matthew 18, verses 3 to 5. And said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. This debate among the disciples was no doubt related to their views of the future. They thought that Jesus was going to deliver Israel from the Romans, restore the kingdom of David, and reign as its new king in all the glory that the nation experienced under King Solomon. When that would happen, they had no doubt assumed that, as part of Christ's inner circle, they'd have prominent and important roles to play in the newly restored kingdom. But even that wasn't enough. They wanted to know who amongst them would be the greatest in the kingdom. If that doesn't sound like the promptings of Lucifer, what does? Let's look at Isaiah 14, verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Question. Read Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. How did Jesus answer this request and... What was his main point? Well, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. 
but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Perhaps the most disappointing thing about this pathetic incident is its context. They were on their way to Jerusalem where Jesus was about to be crucified. He had just explained to them that he was going to be betrayed, condemned to death, mocked, scourged and crucified and then rise again the third day, as uh, we read Earlier in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. As soon as he finished saying all this, the question of who was greatest came up again. They did not even hear what Jesus had said. It was obvious that they were not listening. Interested in their own self-minded ambitions, they missed the large issues at stake, focusing on false concepts of an earthly kingdom that would never come, and missing out on what Jesus was telling them about the Eternal One that He was offering them through His own upcoming death. And so to finish today, it's easy to think about how short-sighted and petty the disciples were. Look at yourself and ask, what short-sightedness and pettiness do I need purged from my own soul? Thursday, February 18. Divine Encounter with the Word It was the third day after Jesus' death. His followers were still numb with shock. They thought he would crush the Romans, but the Romans had, it seemed, crushed him instead. Many disciples met together with the apostles after the crucifixion. A group of women from their midst visited the tomb early Sunday morning. Luke names three of them, but there were others who had come with Jesus from Galilee, as we read in Luke 23, verse 15, and chapter 24. Well, let's look at Luke 23:55. sorry. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And Luke 24, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And verse 10, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. They returned from the empty tomb to tell the eleven and all the rest of 
two men in shining clothes they had seen there. Luke records that on that Sunday afternoon, two of Jesus' followers walked the two- to three-hour journey from Jerusalem back to their home in Emmaus, as recorded in Luke chapter 24. It is likely that they were so engrossed in their discussion of what had happened over the weekend that they did not notice a stranger walking nearby. Maybe they would never have noticed him if he had not entered their conversation by asking why they were so sad. Luke 24 verse 17 tells all about that. This question really fired up the one called Cleopas. He wondered how the stranger would be so ignorant of all the things that had happened. What things, the stranger asked in Luke 24 verse 19. Question. Read Luke chapter 24 verses 19 through to 35. What did these people say that revealed their lack of understanding and how did Jesus explain to them the truth? Luke 24, beginning at verse 19. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the term early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him... They did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Notice that Jesus' whole emphasis was on the Scriptures. Just as he resorted to Scripture in his battle with Satan in the wilderness, he goes to the Scriptures here in order to push back the darkness that these two were in. Only after he granted them in the biblical teachings about himself and his mission, did Jesus then give them some powerful experiences to help buttress those biblical teachings. 
First, he revealed himself to them, showing that he indeed had been risen from the dead. Second, as it says in Luke 24.31, he vanished from their sight. Between the no doubt perfectly clear Bible study on the atoning death of Jesus, followed by these powerful experiences, these two had plenty of reasons for faith. So to finish today, here again, as all through the Gospels, we see Jesus keeping the Bible front and centre. How then can we guard ourselves against any type of thinking that would cause us to question the authority of Scripture? Friday, February 19. When here in the flesh Jesus cast out demons, as we read in Luke chapter 6 and verse 18, gave hope to the hopeless, we read in the same chapter, verses 20 to 23, showed people how to live out God's agape love in verses 27 to 49, healed the centurion's servant in Luke 7, verses 2 to 10, raised a widow's dead son in verses 12 to 16, stilled a storm in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, freed the demoniac at Gadara of his demons in verses 26 to 39, healed a woman who had been bleeding for twelve years in verses 43 to 48, raised Jairus's dead daughter in verse 41 and 42 and 49 to 56, and even raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days in John chapter 11 verses 39 to 44. All that he did, and so much more. And yet people still struggle to believe in him. As we read in Manuscript Releases, Volume 18, page 116, even Christ's own disciples were slow to learn and to understand. Notwithstanding their love for him and their reverence of his character, their faith in his being the Son of God wavered. Their frequent reference to the traditions of the fathers and their continual misunderstanding of his discourses showed how difficult it was for them to free themselves from superstition. End of quote. Faith is a gift from God, but it is a gift that people can resist. And that's because, as we've been warned, Satan is real. The great controversy is real. And the enemy works hard to cause us to doubt and disbelieve. Salvation is found through faith in what Christ has done for us. Satan knows that, and thus will do everything he can to turn us away from that faith. Fortunately, and we must always remember this, Jesus is infinitely more powerful than the devil, and if we cling to Jesus, Satan cannot defeat us. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, what answer would you give to someone who asked, If Jesus has so much power over nature, why do so many people, even Christians, fall victim to natural disasters? How does the reality of the great controversy fit into the answer? Two, what are some of the reasons we have for faith in Jesus and what the Bible says about him? Why is it important to keep these reasons always before us? Also, despite the many good reasons we have, why do so many people struggle with faith? 
What are the things that cause us to doubt? And what is the best way to deal with them? And three, as we saw this week, Jesus chose some flawed people to work with him. What hope does that give you in regard to how Jesus can use you despite your own weaknesses? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled This is Your Last Opportunity, Part 1 For 45 years I worked for Satan as a priestess My name is Dorandina and I was a medium for spirits of the devil People paid me well to tell them the future and to guide them in making a decision or even to make an enemy sick I would go into a trance and call upon a spirit to enter and speak through me. Then I would give the spirit's answer to the person's question. I was a high priestess called Mother of Saints. Many mediums have only one spirit, but I had different spirits come into me, sometimes even a legion of 1,000 evil angels. Often I performed my rituals in special places, on the beach, along the river, or in a cemetery, but always at night. One night I went to a cemetery to perform a ritual for a patron. After the ritual I was exhausted and fell asleep quickly. That night in a dream I saw a man with long flowing brown hair dressed in dazzling white. He had a book in one hand and a ring with many keys in the other hand. He told me, These are the keys of the abyss, or hell. I have come in the name of your God. Follow him. He has a plan for you. This dream was so different from anything I had dreamed before. It troubled me, but I began to think perhaps the dream had come because I was so tired. In time, I forgot the dream. Four years later, after a big satanic celebration, I again dreamed about the man dressed in white. Again he told me, I have come in the name of your God, I have come to give you another chance. I saw in his hand the Ten Commandments written on the tables of stone. I awoke and tried to understand what the dream meant, but I did not understand, and in time I again forgot the dream. Nearly two years later I became very sick. I went to the Adventist hospital for surgery. I told my doctor about my dreams, and I asked him what he thought the dreams meant. The doctor talked to me about God and offered me some magazines and little booklets about God and prayer but I threw them into the trash or the rubbish without reading them. I returned to my work for Satan and forgot about God and the angel in my dreams. January 1 is a special day to worship spirits. On that day, several years ago, I went to the cemetery to conduct ceremonies that people had paid me to perform. One person wanted an enemy to become sick. Another person wanted me to make a woman fall in love with a man. I had a list of rituals to perform on this big night, but I did not feel well. I had a fever. When I finally finished the ceremonies, I went to the hospital. While in hospital, I lost consciousness and slipped into a coma for three days. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.
Remember, God is always faithful.